Hey, I'm R. Allen Brooks, a writer and professor. This is How Art is Born, an MCA Denver podcast about the origins of artists and their creative and artistic practice. Today, I'm joined by comedian Janae Boris. To start off, can you give us a brief interview of you and your artistic practice? All right. Uh, I'm Janae, and I am a comedian. My uh, bio says I'm a comedian, actor, event host, nanny, dog sitter, house sitter in 2020. Balance. <laughs> you know, just try to eat right. like every other artist. But I uh, I went to college. I went to Cal Arts to a performing arts program to oh. be an actor in avant-garde theater. <laughs> nice. You know, trying to get rich or whatever with that avant-garde <laughs> theater. <laughs> but um, I started doing stand-up. <sighs> I hate to say, I don't really like to say how long I've been doing stand-up because it's been a long time, but it really happened because, uh, you know, it's just hard to get acting roles. You're yeah. constantly asking someone, may I do my art? Right. Will you allow me to do my art? And stand-up was something that I could control myself. Hmm. I write for myself and then I perform and I book my gigs. I, I direct myself. I edit myself. I get better. I book again. Nice. Make some videos. Produce my own show. Yeah. So stand up was more got to be more creative than acting, and now through stand up, I'm starting to get more acting roles. Huh. So oh, that's cool how that worked out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So you are from LA. Originally from South Central LA. Okay. If you're from there, you still say South Central and not South LA. <laughs> right. South off. Central. That's kind of like with Atlanta, which is where I'm from. Um, Whenever somebody, I notice somebody's not from Atlanta when I say, hey, I'm from Atlanta, and they'd be like, Atlanta, like they just thought of yeah. it. Yeah. Like, you know, like uh, people from Atlanta don't really say that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Atlanta. And then they do the double fingers like, yeah, you got it. Point, point. All right. So um, early on, like, when did you decide that you wanted to be creative or when did you notice it? Was it like childhood? My whole it, life. Yeah. I'm, I dropped out of high school. Okay. I couldn't stay focused in school since I was a little kid. Yeah. I just get distracted. And I was one of those kids who was kind of quiet and sweet, mm-hmm. but I never turned in my work. Mm-hmm. And I could only pay attention when it was time to do arts, huh. whatever the arts were. Okay. So um, in South Central, nice thing about being from like the inner city sort of working class is that people offer you classes so I got to do ballet in another neighborhood nice. and got to go see plays yeah. and I got to see a lot of theater as a little kid hmm. um, and it was the only thing that interested me so, so when you were watching uh, these theater productions were you like immediately seeing yourself in those roles like yeah, acting you, stuff? I feel like I saw Alvin Ailey dance okay. theater a lot and so I thought I wanted to be a dancer yeah. the core of it really is I wanted to be on stage mm-hmm. so initially it was okay a dancer that's what I want to do mm-hmm. you know you read a children's book and you're like written by so it's also okay that's what I want to do I want to be a, a I want to write kids books no I want to be a poet I was just like I want to create and I want to make things Yeah. and I remember in middle school um, we had this little project about about the election at the time and I kind of took over and I was like, I'm gonna write and direct a play. Nice. And I just that I just kept ditching class. I ditched every class except for when it was time to do that. And then in high school, um, my father passed in high school, so it kind of derailed kind of my thinking. I got real melancholy and I was mm-hmm. like, I'm a poet now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm deep now. Um and but my desire was always to go to a school like Fame. Yeah. The, the TV show right, Fame. Right. 
That's what I want. Coco. I want. I want to. Leroy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Leroy. Debbie Allen. I and I got to meet Debbie Allen when I was a little kid. Oh, that's dope. And um, I just I wanted to be in an environment surrounded by artists. Mm-hmm. So that was my heart's desire, and um, I got into. I remember walking into my first audition at a community college. I dropped out of high school, started taking classes at a community college, and I showed up for an audition. Huh. It was very bad. <laughs> Didn't know what I was doing. And the director was also like the head of the department. He was like, why don't you take a class? Huh. Okay. So you, I mean, so you're doing these things like you're, you're writing plays, you're acting, you're dancing. And it seems like, um, and then you said you had that poetry phase. <laughs> so when you're on stage, like what did that mean to you? Was it, with, was it about having a, weird, a place to express your voice? Was it about making people feel a certain way? Was it, you know, what was it for you? Um, being on stage, it feels like the right place, you hmm. know, like when you um, feels like you are in the place you are supposed to be. Yeah. Things felt in alignment when huh. I was on stage. So even when I would do speeches yeah. and poetry contests and speaking at church. Right. It felt like I was where I was supposed to be because I, I used to play basketball in middle school and okay. I would just joke around, kind of run slow, a little bit lazy <laughs> and, you know, try to play softball, try to play volleyball. Mm-hmm. I just kept trying to do other things and it never I never felt in the right place hmm. until I was on stage. I was wow. like, this feels right now. I have to find what it is that I'm supposed to be doing on stage, which is not dancing (laughs) and is not singing. (laughs) And um, stand up kind of, it feels right. Oh, that's so interesting. Okay. So you you take this class in community college and at this point Mm -hmm. you're feeling like um, theater, stage, Mm -hmm. acting is the thing. Well, so first of all, what do you remember what it was that you were auditioning for? Um, the first audition, he actually put me in that play. It was called The Skin of Our Teeth. It was a community college, so you have to do like things that appear appeal to the blue-haired ladies. <laughs> right you on. gotta do these old and old old plays, <laughs> The Skin of Our Teeth by Thornton Wilder, written like nineteen thirty <laughs> or something. Okay. And um, you know, he just put me in it so in the chorus to do something. Yeah. And um I also took a bunch of other I like I took his directing class because I wanted to direct and, okay you know I took like auditioning so I was just taking all of these theater classes and you start to just be surrounded by theater people yeah look around and it's not just random students taking classes now you're with theater people hmm. so you're not just I mean at this point you weren't just interested in being seen on stage but you're interested in like the whole craft like all the different yeah. With. That I wanted to know what I was taking costuming classes. Wow. I was taking guitar, which that teacher had no patience for me though, because <laughs> my attention span is not very long. Um, but I just, I just wanted to create things. I couldn't get through. I stayed at community college too long. First of all, <laughs> I was not getting any of the other stuff done, and I, I just wanted to be around those people. And then. I remember with that theater department, we went to audition for some other things and I got in a play in another city hmm. and met some people at like a regional theater and those became lifelong friends. Wow. And so now you're building a community, right? Building a community. Yeah. I, I found my people. I think if you're a theater person, uh-huh. you know that those are your people hmm. and they are from the outside. They look like weirdos. <laughs> 
And before I was part of theater people, I was like, those are weirdos. <laughs> so much blue hair, you know, so many nightmare so before Christmas tattoos. You're just like, who right. are? And then you're like, oh, those are my people. Oh, just... So those are the good blue hairs as opposed to the other blue hairs. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe those ladies used to be those other <laughs> right. people. Well, okay. So uh, before the pandemic, I would go dancing like three or four times a week. And uh, okay, so there's a Motown night that would happen here in Denver. Uh, this dude Miggy would run it. I've I've been to those Motown oh, yeah? nights. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. So maybe we've been on the same dance floor. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't really get to know many theater people before. Like they would just show up sometimes to this Motown thing, and I would just know it would be, be like, like there they go. yeah, it'd be like DCPA <laughs> people, right? And they just get on the floor and they're just so fearless, you know, yeah. and just be spinning and, you know, like all this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. that's how to do it. So I know what you're saying. Like there's a, a very distinct um, characteristic to how yeah. theater people exist in the world, which is pretty dope. Which is, it's odd when I meet other, I forget that everybody's not a performer. Ah. So when you dance with other people are trying to get other people to go dancing with you, right. which I'm constantly doing, <laughs> begging people to go dancing with me. It's like, why are they so reluctant? Hmm. This is the best thing to do. We right. gotta go move. Right. And they're not into it. But theater people, it's like, yeah, I feel at home right there under the lights on the whatever the dance floor the stage whatever (laughs) it is in front of the camera behind the camera whatever okay so when you connect with this community and you start doing different kinds of plays were there like particular kinds that were your favorite like did you prefer dramas did you prefer comedy um initially in starting theater since i started at el camino college which is just like uh, you know uh, a community college yeah there wasn't a lot being offered okay. other than the old plays. Yeah. So I didn't even know what existed just yet. Um, because also I was being seen for certain roles. Of right. course, the maid, right. you know, the maid in the miracle worker right. and the maid in the whatever else <laughs> right. and the sassy friend. And the I, remember I got cast as the angel in this play called Marisol. And the director just kept being like, be more like Whoopi Goldberg. Huh. That was like basically my direction was be more. And I had dreadlocks. And just uh-huh. like, be more Whoopi, be more. And I was just like, huh. I was like, I'm from South Central. Whoopi's not from South Central. Right. Whoopi's like San Francisco. Like she's like huh. hippy dippy. And I was just like, I don't know. I had a lot of movement in my neck. <laughs> That's a perfect description. <laughs> <laughs> he wanted more whoopy, more funny, more yeah. cool, a little more. Anyway, I, wow. what I found is that I love August Wilson. Once I got into, um, I liked playing roles that were written for black people about black stories, okay. not just like I don't like supporting want to, characters, supporting yeah, characters, yeah. you know, uh, about uh, black people's lives. Huh. Um, it, comedy, it, it um, I don't think I discovered it until like I always felt like I could be funny. And I think people saw me that way, but I wasn't confident enough. I didn't, uh, I didn't truly know it. Yeah. Comedy takes a lot of confidence. I believe it. And once you feel that confidence, then you like, you realize like, Oh, that's why I never got those parts. Like mm. there's a certain swagger about it. That's interesting. But all right. Yeah. Well, I want to ask you more about that period where, um, you know, you brought it up, like how um, this director's trying to make you be more whippy or whatever. First of all, have you seen, you've seen Hollywood Shuffle? Love Hollywood okay. Shuffle. Have cried in front of Robert Townsend about Hollywood <laughs> nice. Shuffle. Yeah, uh, for people who haven't seen it, there's the whole uh, director trying to make the black characters act more black and mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> talk more ghetto and stuff like that. Uh, so did you, 
Did you find that a lot? Because I, I, I guess I'm asking, what was your experience as a black woman um, in this world of theater? Was where did you feel like you were being pigeonholed a lot? I I felt that, but then I also can look back on it and understand that I didn't all, I also pigeonholed myself. Hmm. Once they told me uh, I was a supporting character, then I auditioned for supporting characters. Yeah. And I tried to be those supporting characters. Um, I was off, most a lot of auditions, I was asked if I was a comedian or if I could sing. Huh. Like that was a necessary, which is why I really started to stand up because I was sick of saying, no, I don't do stand up. Yeah. But. I like what I do now, but back then it was kind of like, that's how they see you. They don't see you as the sexy girlfriend. Right. You can be the sassy, funny friend, mm. or you could sing something mm. spiritual. Right. Um, yeah, it was a lot of that. And um, I kept trying to play secondary roles. I think the first time I got to be in a play where I didn't feel like that in college, we did Joe Turner's Coming Gone, an August Wilson play. Mm. And I got cast as like, the sexy pretty role because everybody was black in nice. the play yeah. and it was just like for me it was it was just so different I was like really <laughs> I never saw myself that way uh-huh. yeah we're all black so you don't have to just be black now you get to be a person right um, hmm. and that was the beauty of the school I went to though it was it you know we we did some amazing work and we also did a lot of weird stuff yeah. <laughs> we did a lot of weird avant-garde stuff. Right. That's cool in Germany, but not that well received <laughs> in Valencia, California. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Okay, well, so you, you build this community. You had this experience in college. Um, what was the path like from leaving the college and then finding your way to comedy? Was there, were the years in between? Was that kind of immediate? Um, I, when I out of college, you know, we were all pretty like, let me go get famous real quick. <laughs> Let me just jump right in here. And I was going hard on like being like, check on my resume and all this training I've done. Yeah. Nobody cares. Mm. It's you learn much later. So much about relationships. Right. It's right. not about your resume. Yeah. Um, so I was just feeling a bit frustrated with um, not landing the roles that I was auditioning for, which you just don't. Right. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, that's just regular. As someone who's never auditioned, I I just can't even imagine like regularly dealing with that amount of rejection. Mostly here, no. (laughs) Yeah. Mostly it's no. Yeah, it demands a different, uh, a certain kind of um, strength, resilience. Which I don't think I had. Okay. I was getting my feelings hurt out there. Yeah. And I wanted to create. And, Mm. you know, people keep telling you no. Um, so I was taking improv, which you're supposed to do. <laughs> right, you right. must take improv if you're an actor. And I remember uh, in my improv, I linked up with a lot of the black folks in there and we yeah. were doing our thing. And we all went to go watch a friend do some stand up. And in watching stand up, you're like, I could do that. <laughs> I could at least do what these people are doing. And from there, I, I took a class. I like being in classes and surrounded by other creatives. So I took a stand-up class. This was now probably 13 years ago. Okay. Um, I just took that one class and I was like, oh, I got it. Well, okay. Now uh, we're going to continue, but this is interesting to me because plenty of people sit in the audience and say, I can do that. But there's not a lot of people who actually go and do it <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. then, and then do it well, right? And, yeah. and able to like persist in it. I mean, I, as an artist who's been doing it, you know, going to school for it and loving it while I was a little kid in school, yeah. I understand that I can't get better. Huh. 
Um, I never looked at him and said, I can be better than that. I could be super good. I could be the best. I was like, I think I could do that. And then each time I did it, I was like, I feel I'm getting better. I can hmm. feel myself getting better. I recognize the markers of what getting better looks like. Yeah. More laughs, more gigs, longer set, more hmm. confidence, ask for more money, <laughs> more festivals, more opportunity. It grows and grows and yeah. grows. Okay. That's really cool. So I was thinking about like when, I, when I've gone to see amateur comedian open mm-hmm. mics, uh, those are, those are usually pretty terrible. But, yeah. but it's it's not so much that people lack talent. It's that it seems like maybe 60% of people who get up have never thought to write jokes. <laughs> they just think that they're funny people. Yeah. And they get on stage and then they're like, why aren't, why aren't people laughing? And then when people don't laugh, I've noticed people tend towards becoming more offensive or racist because mm-hmm. oh, they, they're trying to like shock yeah, a reaction. People, yeah. People. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I'm really curious about, okay, so you took this class where you... <laughs> What was your first time like getting on stage as a comedian? Well, like, the class, so you know, typical eight week class with at the end you get a showcase. Yeah. So it was set up in a warm way. Oh, that's cool. Where we're going to invite friends and family. Yeah. I mean, and in, at that point, I'm comparing myself to the rest of my classmates, uh-huh. feeling like I am. <laughs> within the top tier of who's funny within my class. Nice. A lot of other actors, same thing I was doing, being like, I'm trying to add more skills to my toolbox as an actor. Yeah. We're all kind of doing the same thing. But I felt like I am getting more laughs. I feel funnier than these people. Huh. And that I remember the show, my family came, pack, packed room. Hmm. It's a very long joke about my sister's vagina. <laughs> packed room. <laughs> um my ex was there. It's craziness. I don't know why I invited those the people I invited because you really don't need all those people on your first time. Right. You should be talking to strangers. I remember just holding my body tight, holding the mic like this, huh. and looking down the whole time hmm. and getting lots of laughs. Oh wow! And the teacher, I promise us that she's like, "Look, it's going to be your friends and family. They're going to laugh. Yeah. Everybody just chill out." Hmm. I felt like I got laughs from other people's moms too, <laughs> which was nice. Yeah. And the, I mean, the real thing is the first time you bomb. Yeah. That hurts. Huh. Physically hurts. Well, OK, I, I want to hear about that, because I, I think it seems like comedy is the only thing where you have people in the audience who are basically daring you to make them react. <laughs> right. Because yeah. other like whether it's music or um, acting or whatever, people, they, they like it or they don't. But with comedy, it's like make me laugh. Yeah. Yeah. So what was the, the first bomb experience Everybody's like? so judgy. The first <laughs> bomb was, um, it was, it was an open mic. Okay. And at that time, I didn't have the proper understanding of an open mic. An open mic is a workout room. Yeah. You should be working new material, mm-hmm. trying it out for whatever your reasons are. You're trying to see where the punchline is. You're trying to shorten it, whatever. Okay. At that point, I wasn't doing enough shows and um i did an open mic and a couple of old friends showed up that i hadn't seen in forever i should have said no y'all get out and i and uh it's also what i didn't know at the time was um there's just not that many women okay doing it yeah and you won't get a lot of love from your male colleagues um there's a 
just of uh, intimidation factor. They yeah. are a little bit intimidated by like, who is this woman hmm. doing our thing? It, it's it's a weird dynamic, but I just was not getting any love. And my friends were there and everybody sat there silently. And I was confused because I'm like, this killed. Right. These jokes killed. And, the, you know, it was my set from, from the class. Huh. And I was just expecting it to just always go well. I didn't know at the time. I didn't work the audience. I was just doing my jokes the way that I had learned to so do you, them. You're saying some interesting things here. Okay, so uh, the two old friends showing up, that threw things off. Mm-hmm. How? Like, was it? Because they were very funny friends. These are friends uh-huh. I met when I did that regional theater, these lifelong friends that I, I, okay. I acquired, and they were the funniest guys I know. Uh-huh. And they just, the audience wasn't laughing. They mm-hmm. weren't laughing. Mm-hmm. So now I was embarrassed. I see. Okay. Which made it worse. And then you said the thing about not working the crowd. So it's like you have to prepare them to laugh. No, well, stand ups, the good stand ups, yeah. the ones that make you laugh, uh-huh. they are actively involving you in yeah. the set. They are uh-huh. not doing a play. Okay. I was still at that early stage, like a year in, yeah. where I'm doing my play that hmm. I wrote, my little five minute play that I wrote. Yeah. And not recognizing that you have to talk to people or not even knowing, like, you know, read the room. I didn't know how to read a room. Oh. It's like, don't tell all your little jokes that make men insecure when the room is only men. <laughs> you got nobody on your side. And I didn't even have the years or the confidence. Now I could do it. I'll go yeah. in a room full of men and read them. Right. But back then it was like, you don't have the confidence. You don't have the punchlines. You don't have the swagger. These ain't your people. <laughs> it's daylight outside. Nobody's <laughs> right. drunk. Get off the stage. Right. Huh. Okay. So I've heard other comedians talk about how when that happens, the set, it feels like the longest five, 10 minutes, whatever in the world. Yeah. Uh, it hurts in your gut. Too. Yeah. It feels like, it feels like a punch in the gut. Hmm. You're just like, I want to leave and I want to go cry in my car. I don't want to see nobody. There's one comic who was a working comic. What's his name? John Roy, John Roy. Um, he was very sweet Okay. and followed me back, which now being followed seems weird. <laughs> <laughs> but he was just following me to say, it. he was up next. He was like, you did a good job. Uh, I was like, so they don't know what they're talking about. You oh, did a cool. good job. Keep going. Keep, you know, you just, you do need some encouragement. Yeah. You need that encouragement. And he did that for me, which was very sweet to have early on. Cause the way LA is, you, you don't get a lot of people encouraging you. Yeah. If you're good at all, they just feel threatened by mm. you. And he didn't feel threatened by me. Yeah. And he just encouraged. And I really needed it at that uh-huh. moment. Well, props to John Roy. For yeah. Him. All right. So you, uh, the way that you're talking about it, it seems like um, a good stand-up performance is essentially building a relationship with the crowd and like having some kind of back and forth. Yeah. Making it, a connection. Yeah. So make a connection, share energy, be in the moment yeah. is the biggest thing. It's like you can't just practice your set in the mirror or something. You can't do it like a play. It's not a play. Mm-hmm. It is a live, living, breathing moment, and mm. you need to be present for it. Yeah, uh, I get to open for my friend um, Josh Blue a lot, and what I love about what he does is he does a lot of callbacks, mm-hmm. and he thinks of them so fast uh, because he's so present yeah. on stage. He and what he's great at too is getting back to the joke he wrote. Huh. Me, I can do some callbacks. I get a little distracted because my attention span and I forget my joke. So now (laughs) if I stop to talk to you, I can't finish this joke. (laughs) But Josh is like, you know, boom, 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 in and out of stuff. And um, 
So I learned I learned by watching him just like really stay present on mm. stage and respond. The audience is there. They're listening. If you heard a weird noise, they heard that weird noise, too. Right. So say something about it. Don't ignore it. Mm. That's funny what you're saying about like getting lost in, in your joke or forgetting, you know, what's next. That happened to me uh, performing with a, like a band or something. Right. Oof. And so if I'm freestyling, uh, I'll make up a chorus Sometimes I even teach the audience the hook that I made up. I get them saying it with me, and then I start rap. I rap a whole verse, and then I get back to the chorus and be like, "What was that again?" Oh no! <laughs> but fortunately, I can say like, "Oh, I forgot the chorus." Y'all just have to say it, and you know, right? Because you know that now. That's not something you know in your first yes. year, or your second year. Yeah. You're like, "Oh, they're knowing." But they, it's not about messing up. We're trying to have a good time, right? Like, right. We. Up. That's a key thing too, right? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you. I've seen this with comedians, but I've seen a lot of rappers do this thing where they fail to engage the audience mm. and then they try to aggressively like you with the shirt, come up here. You know, y'all, y'all need to get some love, you know, that kind of thing. Oh my God. I guess the audience's fault. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Does that happen? Do, do you see that happening? Comedians do it all the time, uh. all the time. Get very, very upset. And, um, you know, and then when they're done with their set, they come backstage to the green room and they're like, the audience is off. <laughs> <laughs> the audience is terrible. It's like the audience—they came for a good time. Right? It's you. Hmm. You don't know how to how to play with them, and you you have to do treat people differently depending on which town you're in. It's uh-huh. what you really do. You can't hmm. just go dragging your same set to every town. That's interesting. We have to deal with the audience that we have, and yeah, they want to have a good time. Nobody's watching stand up comedy who's not there for a good time. Right. Well, so there's so much about art that is um, like building a relationship with the audience, you know, whether you're like a dancer, a painter, underwater basket weaver, whatever it is you do. Right. So um, I've talked with some artists who really believe that they focus on creating art as an escape for themselves Mm -hmm. and other people. Mm -hmm. And then I've talked with other artists who are really focused on trying to convey some message, like trying to make people more aware of something or open up an issue. Uh, where do you feel like you fall with your comedy? Um, I, I, I don't know that it's even intentional, but I'd say I probably fall more in the latter okay. group. Yeah. Um, I, I've heard all the things about like, people are there to escape in comedy. I'm like, they're not here to see me for that. <laughs> they came to the wrong show. Right. I don't do that. Uh, I, I do think that, especially as a black woman with comedy being more of a male sport. Yeah. And then when you look at who the headliners that everybody's bringing the town, it's really white men mm. of a particular age also. Yeah. Um, by being um, not a unicorn necessarily, but by being a black woman, that's already brand new for the audience. Right. A lot of these people don't even have any black female friends. Mm-hmm. So already I'm on, I cannot help but make them aware of mm. some things. If, if it's a... I don't know, benign is something like my hair. Right. It's like, that is not something they talk about. Mm -hmm. And now I've just informed them of don't touch black ladies hair. Right. Now they know. Um, I, I, I tend to talk about my opinions, my feelings. Mm -hmm. It's very, I'm, I share what I know. I talk about my family. Yeah. I talk about my day and what I think about them. Um, and I don't necessarily do give them an opportunity to escape. If there's an election going on, <laughs> we'll be talking about the election. Yeah. Huh. That's dope. Okay. Well, let me ask you about uh, hecklers. 
Like, have you dealt with that? And how do yeah. you learn how to deal with that? Um, well, you, you, you learn that um, not, a, not all hecklers are created equal. Hmm. Some of them think that they're helping you. A lot of them think that they're oh. helping. Huh. Um, some of them are just drunk and unaware. Yeah. Um, I have learned that, I don't know if other women in comedy feel the same way, but um, you're you're already trying to win some favor mm-hmm. and, and convince people that you're cool. Like, mm-hmm. as a woman, you step on stage, you first have to first convince them that you're supposed to be there. Mm-hmm. I am a comedian. I do belong here. I'm just here to make you laugh. Yeah. So I have to be careful with hecklers not to just read them, not to be so rude because huh. pe- I'm already trying to win favor with the audience. Right. So I have to be, I tend to be gentle with hecklers. Okay. Um, you know, not make them look too stupid. Right. Um, but it, you know, you got you got to treat each situation gently. Yeah. Um, the best thing to do is to try to make a joke, not be super mean to yeah. the person. It's like let's try to just get more laughs out of this. Hmm. We're here to laugh. How do we make this situation funny? It's so interesting. Uh, and you're right though. Like I think if you come at somebody a little too hard. Then it creates a whole different situation. Yeah. So there, some people are looking for a fight. Yeah. Then you don't know what happened to them during the day. They here to fight. Right. Not feeling good. Mm. Um, I mean, number one for me as a comedian, I don't want the rest of the audience to turn on me. Right. I'm trying to get them on my team because it's a delicate balance, right? It's such a delicate yeah. balance. I've I've said stuff on stage like watch other people read a girl, and then when I get up there and say something about it, the audience is like, ooh. Mm. Like, I'm mean. Right. Some girl-on-girl fight or something. And I'm like, damn, I don't hardly get to say nothing. So that was a lesson for me. It's like, okay, that's not necessarily... I don't get the privilege of doing that. Hmm. So let me try something else. I want to know... This is my outsider theory of watching comedy, but I've seen, like, this thing where basically you have to build up a certain amount of rapport with the audience. And if you use up more than you build, that's that point where you... You know, mm-hmm. lose, right? So, like, um, somebody like Sarah Silverman, for example, who would say, like, some really, like, um, borderline racist things early in her career, she would do it all by building up the um, rapport of being, like, innocent girl, right? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, she could get away with saying some really edgy things, and it would be really funny because she had built up that thing. Yeah. But then I see people who say, like, might imitate that style of comedy, and they just go right in with the, the offensive jokes. Idiots. <laughs> Skillless. I mean, if you ever watch Dave Chappelle, uh-huh. people will always say like, well, Chappelle says it. Yeah. That is Dave Chappelle. Have you seen him work? Right. He's a virtuoso. He can play that room right there in person. And he wins people in a way where he can say some things. Yeah. He, he makes great points. He always, a long story will turn into the strangest punchline that you did not see coming, mm-hmm. but he builds a rapport. He earns it. Yeah. He earns it. And now he has earned it over 30 years right. of a career. Right. So yeah, you can't do what Sarah Silverman does. <laughs> I think every subject is up for joking about. Mm-hmm. I, personally, mm-hmm. I'm not one of those people who's like, you can't say that on stage. Okay. I'm like, you can say it. Better be funny. Let's, <laughs> Let's see how you don't work. It. Yeah, you like, have to pay the price if you don't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Huh. Okay. Well, so um, in terms of like how you construct things, you said you deal with a lot of associations and stuff like that. Um, do you have an idea of like what you, what experience you want people to have, what you want people to get? 
when they come to one of your shows? Um, I'm usually, you know, a small, small goal of I want them to have a good time. Yeah. I want them to want to see me again. Mm. And I want them to want to see comedy again. Mm. Um, I think sometimes there are bad shows out there. Yeah. That people just are not going to go to any more stand-up comedy. Just the other day, a lady came up and was like, this is my first comedy show. I've never been to a stand-up comedy show before. This is so great. Uh, and it warmed my heart because there are many times where you walk out of a show like, damn, there's somebody that's never coming back because we blew it. Huh. But people kept walking up. And I wasn't, I just did a guest spot. And so for them to be all geeking out over right. me, I was like, okay, y'all had a real good time. Hmm. And I helped facilitate that. So I want people to come back and then I want them to find me like yeah. you, the way that, you know, as an artist, the way that we're going to get to eat is if people decide we get to eat and Definitely. they find us later. It's right. not just that gig I did. It's what gigs I can get next week. Mm. And that's because, and then a couple of people at the show was like, I saw you in Aspen. It's like, thank God. Like people yeah. are like, you know, what I love about Colorado, people come out to stuff yeah. and then they come again and they bring their friends and they pay for tickets. Right. Not in LA, like you have to give everybody <laughs> tickets. Nobody wants to buy a ticket, <laughs> but you do have to bring 10 friends. Right. You buy all eight tickets for them. I <laughs> hear people buy their own tickets and they bring friends. So I just hope that they, they fall so in love with what I'm doing and with the craft of comedy that they, they come back. Yeah. That's cool. Okay. So you brought up LA again, that difference between LA and Denver. So let's backtrack a little. We were, you were talking about, um, you took that class, you had your first experience, um, performing. So how did that lead to you coming to Denver and performing? Um, I, I was in LA and just working, hustling, grinding, yeah. grinding, grinding, doing stand up twice a month, maybe mm-hmm. because I was doing bringer shows. I was like, do I have another 10 friends that can come to another show? Okay. So bringer shows is just, you have to bring friends. You have to, br- okay. you have to sell tickets okay. for your shows yeah. to get your eight minutes on stage. So you will, you will not be paid for this eight minutes. And um, I went to, uh, I was in LA my family had all moved to Fresno. Okay. My sisters all went to Fresno State, started families there, and they kept begging me to come to Fresno. And so I was tired, and I was like, all right, I'll go to Fresno. It blows. You know, if you've ever been to Fresno, California, <laughs> skip it. <laughs> you ain't got no family there. You should not be there. <laughs> um, and so they had some comedy there, and they had a small, cute little community of comedians, yeah. which welcomed me in. Very cool. loving. We, I performed at casinos, oh. bars, and stuff. Yeah. And I felt like I was growing and getting funnier. And yeah. then my community there wasn't ready to leave, though. They didn't have any aspirations of doing more than just comedy in Fresno. Okay. And I was like, okay, I think I want to do more. I got to get out of here. Yeah. And, and I don't like this town. Hmm. I need to get out. So uh, my boyfriend got ended up getting a job opportunity out here in Denver. Mm-hmm. And I was like, let's go. <laughs> nice. Let's just go. Okay. Know nothing about Colorado. Yeah. And so I did get quite lucky just coming. I was like, I'll find comedy wherever I go. Yeah. I'll find stand up. It is now a skill that I can do wherever. If we move to Philly, then I'm going to find comedy in Philly. I'm not worried about it. Yeah. And we got out here and it happened to be a really thriving comedy scene. Hmm. I, I just, I, I got lucky. Yeah. And then I came at a time where like, People welcome me in. That's and dope. I just met really cool people who really w- stuff gave me advice like hang out. Hmm. 
I didn't know I was supposed to hang out. Right. Build those relationships. I'd had all these years, I had no idea I was supposed to hang out. Yeah. I would go do my thing and be like, good night. I'm right. out. <laughs> right. Didn't know nobody. Was mad when people didn't remember me later. So right. You never hung out. You never had a drink with people. You never chopped it up after a, a show. Mm-hmm. You didn't do any of that. And I learned that in Denver. Mm-hmm. And I learned that your friends will hire you. Your friends want to see you winning. Your friends yeah. want to see you eating and they will hire you. Yeah, Denver is a really dope place to be creative, mm-hmm. I found, right? Like, yeah, because there's less competition, different communities come together, uh, like, it doesn't seem quite as clicky, you know, mm-hmm. and even if there are clicks, they still will show up to each other's shows yeah. and support each other's, yeah. So I'm, that's been my experience. I'm glad to hear that you had the same experience. Yeah. So you came, you started you, you doing the open mics, I guess, to begin yeah, with. I started doing open mics, and we have a great club, Comedy Works, yeah. is just nationally loved, mm-hmm. which I did not know okay. when I got here. Um, and I started to do that new talent night. They have a once a week new talent night, which you have to like get on the list for eight weeks to, oh. before you get your little two minutes. Okay. And so I did that and um, I was doing that regularly. And then I got put on the list okay. to be a regular. Nice. Which was great, which is like an apprenticeship. Yeah. And then just like two years ago, then I got put on the pro list. So now nice. I'm a paid regular. Congratulations. Thanks. Took a long time, <laughs> but I'm on there. Yeah. It's nice now. I can think about when I was in my first year of comedy looking for shows. And I remember this one line was like, list the, sh- the rooms that you've headlined. Yeah. And in my first year, I was like, well, that bar I did. <laughs> right. You know, wherever. It's like, yeah, you headline nothing wrong. <laughs> and like, where are you a regular? I didn't know what any of that meant. Right. Now I know. Okay. What's your home club? Comedy Works is my home club. Hmm. And a lot of people love this club. So it's, it's a good name to be able to drop. Right. <laughs> yeah. All right. So now you have this, as of two years ago, the level being professional on Comedy Works. When you are putting together a set, um, what determines what you talk about? Like, what's what's inspiring you? What's influencing you? How are you picking what things to put in, what things to reject? Um, uh, something I learned from that very first class I took, what's your mantra? What's, what's on, um, what keeps going around in your head? Hmm. What won't leave okay. your head? So... Um, whatever is just on my mind now. And if you hang around enough comedians, they'll say, that's funny. Write that down. Hmm. So you do a lot of that. That's funny. Write that down. Um, You listen to other people tell their jokes and you're like, I got a better angle than that. Hmm. I have something to say about that. So it's it's constantly writing. Yeah. And so by the time I get on stage, it's really, what can I remember? (laughs) What's the most accessible right now? Yeah. And then it's like, okay, what's a joke? Now, what's accessible, what do I have a new tag for? What kind of thrills me? So you have like the stuff you say just up top to introduce yourself. A girlfriend of mine has cerebral palsy. And so she opens with that because if she waits too late in the set, people are too distracted. Wondering why she walks funny. So she's got to have some jokes up top to say, hi, I have cerebral palsy. Hmm. Um, So... um, I usually, in, when I'm in Colorado, you know, I talk about not being from Colorado. Mm. Just an icebreaker. Right. Okay. So you you talked about um, reading the room, right? And like um, just not doing the same set word for word every place. So are you at the point where you just have like a basic idea what you want to do and like 
like series of jokes in your head that you could yeah. draw from? Mm-hmm. Series of jokes. Like it's a play that I've been writing for 13 years. Huh. So, you know, I can, I do a little bit from act one, <laughs> a little bit from act five. That's cool. It's a long play. <laughs> um, and if I'm headlining, I'm going to do a lot of this stuff. Yeah. You know, try to build, build an arc to the set. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's I feel like it's a play that I'm continuing to work on and edit. And depending on which room I'm in, I'm going to pull those out. Yeah. Um, huh. That's really dope. OK, so listening to you, the, the the picture that I get is that it's good to kind of show up with consistently good material, hang out get to know, build relationships mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Is there anything you would add to somebody who's trying to figure out like sort of how to build their, their path, their career yeah. in comedy? Um, in comedy, yes. Yeah, watch other people. Hmm. You got to watch. Hmm. You can't always just be like, it's my turn. I can't uh, wait to get on stage. What yeah. am I doing? You need to, I see a lot of open micers. Uh, Denver has a lot of open mics and a lot of rooms. Yeah. And, most other cities, people just don't get the stage time we get. Mm. So I see young comics, they'll do their set. They're like, I go first because I got another show. Oh, like, now you're supposed to watch the headline. Right. Because you you only know what you did. Right. You don't know what other people are doing. You haven't learned that craft. I, at Comedy Works, by being a regular there, one of the beautiful things there is Wendy, the owner, always had an open door policy of like, if you're a comic, come sit and watch for free. If there's open seats, come sit and hmm. watch. So you get to watch these nationally touring uh, headliners. You get wow. to watch technique. And I think a lot of comics fail themselves in that way. It's like, watch the stand-up special. Watch live in the room. Watch your favorite comics do open mics. Watch other people eat it on stage. Right. Watch other people fail sometimes. And th- that's that's a school we're in. Yeah. We have to keep watching it. And getting better. Dave Chappelle is not the same comic he was 25 years ago. You know, he's doing yeah. more. He watches other people. He eats comedy. He loves it. And you have to like love it and become obsessed about it. Mm. That's good. I, I was actually going to ask you. So you pitched it to me. It was a great segue. Uh, you're talking about Dave Chappelle's growth as a comedian. Uh, so you've talked a lot about how you've become a better performer. Mm-hmm. But is your approach to how you do comedy? Do you feel like it's changed much? Yeah, um, I am. Um, I'm more engaged. To hmm. be honest, I'm not trying to cram all my jokes into the time I have. Oh. You know, they tell you, you have ten minutes, and you have to try to do every joke you know. <laughs> Don't try to rush it and pack it. Right. Draw it out. You'll get another set. <laughs> Just enjoy. Do three jokes right. in ten minutes, and that's fine. Huh. Um, I think that I'm more comfortable on stage. Yeah. I used to get very like for my little few shows a month. I couldn't get my rhythm. Mm-hmm. And in Denver, I get to do so many shows that you really get the workout. Yeah, and you feel good. Feel good by the time you get to your Friday show or your headlining set. Mm-hmm. Um, used to be a lot of like you know makeup and high heels and <laughs> you know because I'm an actor and I want to get in my costume and right. stuff, which I still do sometimes. But now I know like when I'm working out new jokes, I'll probably not wear makeup and I'll have on a hat and I'll look a little more masculine sometimes mm-hmm. because. I, Cause I understand that the audience, they are drinking it all in mm. and I am trying to work them for laughs. And sometimes it requires that I not have my legs out mm. so that they can hear what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, which a lot of people will be offended. Like, like women are like, I can wear what I want to wear. So like, you can, you probably won't get as many laughs. But 
Well, that is, you bring up an interesting point there because, uh, you know, obviously I've had, I've had time to think about theories about comedy, not having ever done it, but <laughs> the, I've noticed that there's this uh, thing about self-awareness, like being aware of how a crowd perceives you allows you to make particular types of jokes. Mm-hmm. And so like, uh, I think about say like, you know, Jack Black, his whole shtick is like, you know, I am the greatest rock god of all, right? Mm-hmm. But it's funny because he looks like Jack Black. But yeah. But if you look like Brad Pitt, probably wouldn't be as funny. Yeah. So um, I guess I want to ask for you, what did it take for you to understand how people perceive you? And how does that fit into how you occupy the stage? I'm still discovering uh, all the time how people perceive me. Yeah. Like one, one of my girlfriends, she like I was telling a joke about my age and at the end of the session, she was like, you're so funny, but don't do that joke. Hmm. People don't know how old you are. Hmm. And it was confusing to them. Because ah. I'm just like, I, I'm I'm 41. And she's like, they don't think you're 41. <laughs> so don't say that joke. Right. Like, oh, okay. Okay, uh, so just like there's just certain little things that keep happening. Like I watch, uh, I watched another woman on stage in a tank top and a cut off jean skirt and wet hair. And she was just doing a whole bunch of. Stuff. I was like, "Girl, can't nobody hear what you're saying? <laughs> you, you, every got flip flops on, and you just ran out the shower. I don't even know what she's talking about on stage. It's like that's a lesson for me right there. Is uh, a distract. But for my friend Sam Talent. He's like a large man. Mm-hmm. He can be intimidating. He does a lot of audience stuff. Mm-hmm. And he used to wear overalls on the stage. And I was like, that looks like some backwoods stuff. All I don't right. care for that. He wears shorts on stage a uh-huh. lot now. And, and it, it's what he feels good in. Yeah. He looks great in them. But I'm like, those shorts also kind of take the edge off of watching a large man on stage. He doesn't feel as mm. intimidating yeah. with his legs out. <laughs> That's Whereas me, with my legs out. It's distracting. So right. I put on pants because of how we perceive humor, like mm. that somehow masculine is funnier. Huh. It just, it, these are just the things that I've learned. And it's like, I don't love that we all see things that way. Right. But that's what I've learned. I learned when I have short hair, I can tell some new and different jokes hmm. when I'm wearing like a men's haircut. My mom said to me one time, I had like, I normally I was wearing short hair and I put this long wig on and my mom was like, Janae, don't look too pretty on stage. People hmm. won't laugh if you're too pretty. And, uh, and it was kind of a backhanded compliment. I was like, God. <laughs> She's like, you should wear your other hair. Your other hair is funny. Huh. I was like, ouch, mom. Right. <laughs> um, but okay. I was like, I hear you though. Because yeah. I was wearing skirts and cleavage and straight hair. And it was like, yeah, what are you projecting up there? Like, you want people to focus on that or you want them to hear the jokes and like what can I do to help them hear me better that's interesting I don't want to have an argument about how women should be able to look however they want to look I don't want to do that I want to get more laughs and because you're trying to communicate something Mm -hmm. it sounds like it's it's kind of about meeting people where they are yeah and then taking them to where you want them to go yeah but if you don't meet them where they are you have to overcome that gulf and then try to take them. Like, don't make it so much harder. You have 10 minutes. Hmm. Let's not spend all this time trying to get people to like you. Let's get around to the joke part. Yeah. I've had hecklers who, one time this guy was like heckling me hard. Then I went in and was just like, I had no jokes. I just cursed him out. (laughs) That was headline. It was a big show. It was crazy. My sisters happened to be at that show. Uh And then later she was like, she talked to the dude. She was like, Janae, he was, he liked you. He just thought you were pretty. And I was like, really? That's what was happening on stage? Huh. I was like, 
that's not what I was trying to project. I was trying to tell jokes and and but I you have to be aware of People are going to be distracted by all sorts of things. You're a black woman on the stage mm-hmm. in like sort of a red area, politically red area. Mm-hmm. So did you step on the stage? They're like, oh, she don't shit on Trump. Right. Now. right. You don't have to say nothing. Right. Just a black. And so I know knowing that I try to open with something silly just mm-hmm. to disarm them. Like, all right. I'm going to shit on Trump later. <laughs> right. But for now, for my opening, I'm going to say something self-deprecating. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put all you white folks at ease right now. Mm-hmm. Just, it's cool. Yeah. I'm not going to read y'all just yet. you got to guide them there. That's, gotta, yeah. Yeah. Now, that's interesting. That's really, that's that's cool. I mean, it's it's cool to hear your approach to it, right? Um, because maybe if you, if you generally, you're not you specifically, but just anyone shows up, trying to force people to communicate on their terms immediately, they might have less success than if they try to catch people where they are and then guide them to the place they want I, them to I be. I think that's the skills you get as you grow in comedy. Mm-hmm. Like you, you there are, when you're in your first year, you're very precious about your jokes and precious about your image and the things you're trying to communicate. And you don't know, like you really have to work with the audience. Yeah. You're working together for this evening. Mm-hmm. But you, you learn that later as you as you put more hours into it. Hmm. I went on this uh, poetry tour in like 2004. And um, when I would get on stage when it's time for me to perform, I would stand on stage and I would just take a minute, let it be quiet, to like ground myself. And it was an interesting thing because any silence is uncomfortable for people, mm-hmm. right? You know, so for you on stage, of course, it's uncomfortable. But I, I would do that so that I would find myself and connect. And in some cities, like I remember in um, St. Louis, the crowd got uncomfortable. <laughs> and it wasn't like I'm up there being quiet for like 10 minutes. I'm talking like 15 seconds. Yeah, They got uncomfortable and they just applauded again because they didn't know what to do. They're just like, woo! Yeah. And, uh, just be quiet, y'all. Right. I'm having a moment. You know, but the cool thing about it, though, was when any of that, whatever their reaction was to that, it would create a bond. They would know that we were there together because when that when that when the crowd clapped for me again, I was like, oh, yeah, I appreciate that. You know, I'm just going to have, you know, <laughs> yeah. and it just like opened it up, you know, and um, I think it's just so, it's interesting to hear you talk about the mechanics of building a relationship with an audience very quickly. And, you know, being able to, like, build that rapport and that connection and the fact that it's even important, you know, it's, it's our privilege as performing artists hmm. that we get to orchestrate that. It's like we're the hostess of this fun right now. Yeah. So, you know, like you get to control that rhythm if you want to be quiet. And but you also have to have the skill to do right, that. Right, right. Everybody can do it. Yeah, and you have to deliver after that, right? Because if I if I make them feel awkward at the beginning and then I don't, if I'm awkward, mm-hmm. then it's a bad experience for everybody, mm-hmm. you know? But uh, but I love, I love the idea of thinking about performance as something that, an experience that we share with the audience. And I've seen a lot of performers, especially in music, who don't think that way. They think that the audience is there to see them and that they, that the audience owes them attention. 
And that's just a hard way to go. No, I don't know why they do that. <laughs> running up against a wall. It's that. I mean, part of that is like what's gotten me through. Like sometimes as an artist, I keep, I'm like, why didn't I become a firefighter hmm. or an EMT or something important? My have a sister who's a teacher who's so good at it. Like she had a calling. She's very good hmm. at what she does. I'm like, I'm good at this. And also this is important. Hmm. It's important to bring these community experiences to the community. Yeah. It's like not my sister cannot. She's funny, but she can't get on stage and tell jokes. Right. And she doesn't act. I'm like, okay, you have a separate, a separate set of skills, which is also important. Mm-hmm. Bring this community together, create an experience for them. And even though I'm talking about COVID while we're going through COVID, right. it's still like they're having a good time. We're still facilitating a good time. Mm-hmm. And we're laughing about this thing together. So yeah, that, that, that's helped get me through some, some things, some self-doubt about like the path that I've chosen. Mm. It's like, yeah, I've felt that and I've, talked about it, you know, uh, because it's just so much in society that makes you feel like art is uh, flighty or irresponsible mm-hmm. or selfish even, mm-hmm. you know, and I think it's just good to be reminded. I mean, that's a lot what this podcast is about is talking about the importance, showing people the importance of it's it. It's important. Yeah. All right. So um, what are you working on now? I have an audition this evening. Oh, Good luck. They want you to come down, memorize, memorize the monologue now. This is how it's going these days. Wow. It's like, whoo, this old brain of mine. <laughs> Memory is not my strong suit. Yeah. But um, have an audition. Um, so I have more acting coming up. Cool. Uh, I have a few different sets in Denver coming up also. Yeah. Um, a lot of stand-up comedy. Nice. Stand-up comedy. Well, where do you want to, where do you want to go? Like what? You know, because you talked about how um, acting was an important thing and then uh, comedy had, you know, kind of like took off somewhat. Mm-hmm. So like my my big dream was always to do like a one person show that I wrote. And I think stand up has shown me that that is possible. But yeah. somehow the path has gotten longer. Like when I was fresh out of theater school, I was like, I'm going to write a one woman show. <laughs> Knock it out. Now I'm like, OK. What I want is something better than that, but still stand up is a one person show. And now I want to expand my stand up more theatrically. Hmm. I want to add some theater into my stand up and make my headlining set a little more than just me and a microphone. I haven't figured it out yet, Hmm. but that that's what I'd love to do is, um, yeah, more touring and, and grow a better show to tour with. Yeah. More exciting, like unique Janae Burris show instead of just seeing this comedian who's here right now let's go see Janae Burris do this thing that she does that's cool that would be really great you run into a younger version of yourself what advice would you give yourself (laughs) quit wasting time (laughs) get to it already girl just go do it great advice I got from a girlfriend was like give him 80% is the thing she was saying Hmm. she didn't remember saying it to me but she was like, you don't have to spend forever trying to per- perfect something, hmm. which I struggle with. Yeah. My personality type is the reason I don't turn anything in hmm. is because it's not perfect yet. Uh, so I'll miss every deadline yeah. because I'm looking for perfection. And she's like, give them 80% and then move on to the next thing. That's a real if thing. If I ran into my younger self, I'd be like, turn it in yeah. already. Do it. You, The thing you want to do, go do it now. Nothing is 
permanent. Nothing is forever. Things change. So just go do it. And then later you can do something else and just get to it. I tend to dilly dally. That is good advice. That's really good advice. <laughs> All right, Janae, uh, where can people follow your work? Uh, you can find me at JanaeBurris.com. You can find me on the social medias at Negative Negro. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am at Comedy Works often, and, um, but my, my dates of where I be doing live stand-up are on my website, JanaeBurris.com. I encourage you to spell your name for people who are listening. <laughs> J-A-N-A-E-B-U-R-R-I-S. Dot com. If you say, I learned that if you type Janae Denver, you might find me. You that person. I might nice. be the Janae of Denver. <laughs> right so, on. yeah. Thank you for taking time to talk to me. My pleasure. I always want to talk about the arts. Yeah. No, and if really... somebody wants to do stand up too, I also teach and coach and oh. I work with Athena Project teaching stand up to teenage girls because oh. I, I really want women to get more interested. Men find it. <laughs> All right. They are born with the confidence to do it somehow. <laughs> and women and girls don't know they're funny yet. Yeah. So I'm I'm always working with uh, girls to encourage them to do more, to be funnier. Yeah. That's really dope. Just go be funny. Uh, is there more information about that on your website too? Athena Project, yeah, you can. Uh, I think I have some of that on there, Athena Project. Um, but yeah, I I'm happy to encourage women. That's so cool. Um, not to hate on men, but that is just we all have our yeah. you know our mission and our path and stuff. And women, it, it, women working with their humor is my thing. Word. That's dope. All right. Well, it was wonderful talking to you. Great talking to you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Right on. Thank you to today's guest, Janae Boris. Visit mcadenver.org forward slash podcast to learn more about our work. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe for more. Check out MCA Denver on YouTube and subscribe there too for behind the scenes clips that don't make it in the episode. by me, R. Alan Brooks. Cheyenne Michaels is our producer and editor. Courtney Law is our executive producer. How Art is Born is a project of the Museum of Contemporary Art, Denver. Hey, if you love How Art Is Born, there's another podcast that I think you should check out. It's called Off The Walls, and it's all about the people and stories behind Denver's street art. In each episode, you'll meet artists, activists, and other Denverites to explore some powerful murals around town and why they matter. Find Off The Walls from Denverite and Colorado Public Radio wherever you get podcasts.